Uh, gracious God, we thank you for who you are and we thank you for your scriptures. We thank you that you are a God who speaks and that you have created us to be a people who understand. And so we ask that you would challenge us and encourage us and be with us as we turn to your scriptures and try and understand how we might be changed. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. I believe it was Jim Morrison who said that people are strange when you are a stranger. And here's my question for today. What if he's right? What if people are strange when you're a stranger? Because, of course, when we feel like strangers, it makes everyone else more strange. When we are lonely, everyone else feels more distant. When we're uncomfortable, it makes everyone else feel more odd. When we're afraid, it makes everyone else seem more scary. When we're not ourselves, everyone else loses some of their humanity. And therefore, we're not surprised that more and more people are feeling like strangers, which only makes everyone else more strange. And if they're more strange, then we come to fear, mistrust, and dislike them even more. We make them into the other. In the book, Beautiful Resistance, author John Tyson extends this point. He writes, categorizing people as other has a profound impact on our capacity to love. It changes our desire for connection and the responsibility we feel. Distance creates fear, and fear gives us a hermeneutic of suspicion, causing us to withhold care. Did you catch that? In making someone else into a stranger, we have less and less desire to care for or even connect with them, and they become more scary, more frightening. And yet, here's the thing. If you're like me, you may recognize that things seem to have gotten worse on this front because somehow we have gotten better at making other people into strangers. We used to call them neighbors, but now I don't know them, and so now they're strangers. They used to be called just people in my community, but now we disagree so I don't like them. They used to be just folk, just people. But since they're different, they're now strangers. You see, more and more, I think we have become stranger makers. Because it's not just that there are strangers out there somewhere, but we have taken neighbors and coworkers and church members and fellow citizens and we've turned them as well into strangers. We've made all of these people into them and they and those people. And what's more, we tell ourselves it's their fault. They're the ones who moved away. They're the ones who became different. They're the ones who are wrong. I, I don't know them. I don't like them. I don't trust them. I'm not comfortable around them. And therefore, they are strangers. Maybe there are more and more strangers, not because their numbers are growing, but because we are making more people into them. 
And all the while, it's us who feel more isolated, lost, alienated, alone, and afraid. Which brings us back to our series, because if we are making people into strangers, what does that say about us? And how might we do something different? Again, I come back to this image of our treatment of strangers becomes a barometer for our beliefs. Who do I move towards and who do I avoid? What kind of people am I comfortable around or uncomfortable around? Who do I not know and not like at the same time? And what does it say about me? A stranger walks into the room. I'm uncomfortable because they look different, because they dress different, because they sound different, because they believe different? Do they remind me of something, someone, somewhere? Because my discomfort may teach me something about myself. And just to clarify, some of my discomfort is because I don't know who they are. They are the stranger. And to clarify further, they might be dangerous or untrustworthy. But I may be adding some extra things to that. Part of my uncomfort, discomfort, may be something inside of me and have way less to do with them. And so as we continue in this series, we're trying to learn about how do we make people into strangers and, and how do we make them go from strangers to guests or acquaintances or friends or even family. Because, of course, with the exception of family, everyone you have ever known and liked started as a stranger. So how do we start to welcome strangers better, encounter strangers better, include strangers better, care for strangers better, and maybe even next week, love the stranger better? Because maybe this is how we are changed, and maybe this is how we change the world. So if you would, I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Matthew 25, 14. While you're turning there, I will simply tell you that this is towards the end of the book of Matthew, and this starts with Jesus teaching about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And so let us read Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. 
Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them and thrown and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Amen. Those are two passages. Uh, hopefully... Both of these are semi-somewhat familiar, uh, and I want us to spend a little bit of time going back through them because there's a lot there in each of those stories. But then after that, I want us to notice how these two stories complement and enhance each other because they are together. Uh, this all seems to be one teaching of Jesus, and so maybe these were put together intentionally and maybe we should spend some time putting them back together. Uh, and so, as we go back through these passages, uh, let's look at what we are called to do, who we're called to be, and then finally, maybe, what is God trying to do in us and through us? And so, we begin with the first story, the parable of the talents, or in this case, in the NIV, it's called the parable of the bags of gold. The story is simple enough. A master leaves his wealth to, with his servants because he's going on a journey. Two of them continue to use this wealth to do the master's work. They go out, they put what they've been given to work, and they gain more. 
The third servant takes what he's been given, stays, digs a hole, and hides it. He is given extra responsibility, extra resources, and he does nothing with them. Well, the master comes back, rewards the first two servants, and he gives them even more than they had before. But the master punishes the wicked and lazy servant who buried the gold. And generally, when you hear this story, you think about stewardship, how everything we have is really God's. And he has just loaned, entrusted these things to us to further his kingdom. But if you're like me, hopefully you aren't, Sometimes you may take this passage and subtly adjust it to be about personal finance or investment, something a little bit more comfortable than something like stewardship. I read this story and I conclude that clearly our last guy should have done something with his money. That's the lesson after all. He's the guy who did it wrong. He didn't do anything with his money. And therefore, clearly, I should make sure that my finances are in order. But do you see what I did there? I took God's money that I'm supposed to be stewarding. I then turned it into my money that I'm using and storing and saving and spending. Which makes me start to sound a lot more like the third guy than the first two. The one who didn't do what he was supposed to do. Whereas what we are supposed to conclude is that we are given not just great gifts, but great responsibility so that we will continue to do the works that the master wants us to do, what he would do in our place, furthering his kingdom. Because with great gifts come great responsibility, to quote Spider-Man, or the Bible. It's in one of those. Um, That brings us to the second story. Jesus comes in His glory. He judges people by separating them, sheep on His right, goats on His left. And to explain this division, He tells the sheep, when I was hungry, you fed me. And when I was in prison, you came to visit me. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. And the sheep are understandably surprised and confused. When did we see you this way? And Jesus concludes, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. And in this story, we conclude that we are to help those with less, those who have need. But again, you got to be careful here, because if you're, if you're still like me, and again, that's not a good place to be, I take the sheep and the goat story, and again, I subtly adjust it in one of two different ways. First, I take it to mean that if I come across someone who has a need, since the goal is solving the problem... And since it's always better to teach a man to fish than to give him a fish, then I recognize we need to create some systems in place so that we can teach a whole bunch of people to fish. Except I'm not really that good at teaching people to fish, and and there's so many people who need to... Therefore, you know what? I'm going to point you to someone who can teach you how to fish, and I don't have to do anything. Hopefully, at least I did point them somewhere. That's better than absolutely nothing, but, but it's pretty close. So instead of actually giving water to the thirsty, I point them towards someone else who can help them get water because they're thirsty. And yet, isn't that the opposite of Jesus' point? I'm struck by how practical Jesus' point actually is. I believe it was 
Chrysostom, who first pointed out how doable all the works of service are. Notice it's not that we are to heal the sick or house the homeless or liberate the prisoners. It's that we're simply to give food to someone who's hungry, visit someone who's sick, welcome someone who's a stranger. In other words, don't overthink the problem first. Give some water to the person who's thirsty. That's the first mistake that I make with this passage. The other one's more dangerous because here's what I do a little bit more often. I hear this parable and I conclude, okay, if I come across someone who has need and if the person is Jesus, then maybe I'll see what I can do. Maybe. I mean, if they're really like Jesus. Maybe I'll try and do something. But you'll notice again, I'm sort of doing the opposite of what Jesus is actually talking about and teaching about. I've made the prerequisite for my help that first they need to be like Jesus. They need to, in other words, not be a stranger before I'm willing to help them. And this is particularly insidious because I think we've made most people now into strangers, which makes them by definition, not like Jesus, which means I don't have to help anyone, except if they're Jesus. And again, somehow I end up living the opposite point that Jesus is trying to make. I mean, you can almost hear the echo in the words of the goats, when did we see you struggling? Clearly, we would have helped you. I mean, not those other people. They're, they're on their own. But, but if we had seen you, if, we, if I had known it was you, I would have helped. If, the, if those people looked more like Jesus, I would have fed them. I would have clothed them. I would have helped them. But we didn't see you. All we saw were strangers. And yet again, isn't that Jesus' point? We're to help the stranger because they're the stranger, because in doing this we're helping Jesus, because this is how we do God's work. But wait, there's more. There's more when we put these two stories back together, back into their original context, because these stories were told in the same teaching. In other words, while we often separate them because they come in kind of bite-sized chunks and you can't read this much Scripture in a sermon, it's easier to read one and then we stop and then maybe hopefully another week later we'll read the other one, but we never put them together, which is how it's actually supposed to be read. And so maybe the impact of these stories is more because they're together. And here's what I mean. Story number one is all about using what God has let us borrow, entrusted to our care for His purposes in the world. It wasn't, here's five bags of gold, go invest it and try and make more. It's do, do your job, do my job, do my work in the world. Story number two is all about us caring for the hungry and the hurting and the stranger. But notice what happens when you zoom out just a little bit and see these two stories together. Because the question that I'm left with after story number one is, so what then is the work that God wants us to do? God has entrusted these bags of gold to our care. What do we do with these skills and resources and, and, and skills? What do we do with all this that God has entrusted to our care? And then maybe we get the answer in story number two. 
Because the work seems to be that we are to give food to someone who's hungry, water to someone who's thirsty, invite the stranger in, clothe the naked, look after the sick, visit the imprisoned. In other words, maybe the work that we are to do with the resources that we've been entrusted is to treat the least and the last and the lost as if they were Jesus. Maybe the work that we are to do is to treat the hurting and the hungry like they were Jesus. Maybe the work we are to do is to treat the stranger like they're Jesus. Because according to Jesus, they are. Which also changes these stories still further. Because clearly Jesus is the, the master in the first story, and He's the, the Son of Man in His glory in the second story. And yet, as Jesus tells this story, everyone is also so surprised that Jesus is also found in those who are without. Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. In fact, all of this is illustrated uh, by a story. Uh, the former president of Whitworth College, Dr. Bill Robinson, tells uh, one of the most important lessons he ever learned in life at the state penitentiary. When he arrived to begin regular work with the inmates, the chaplain took him aside and said, Don't forget, Bill, if Matthew 25 is right, you didn't come here to bring Jesus to these guys. You came to find him. Bill Robinson had gone to the penitentiary to do ministry. Obviously, he's going to bring some Jesus to people who need some Jesus. And the chaplain says, if Matthew 25 is right, you didn't come to bring Jesus to these guys. You came to find Him. Because maybe Jesus is there too. In those moments, in those interactions, in that caring. When we serve and help and become present. Maybe Jesus is there when we feed the hungry and look after the sick. Maybe Jesus is there when we encounter the stranger and invite them in. And maybe really this is the harder lesson for us as a people. Because I think most of us have created lives where I don't have to encounter people who are hungry or thirsty or the stranger, or without clothes, or who are sick, or who are in prison. I don't know any people like that. And yet I don't know that that lets me off the hook. Maybe the challenge for many of us is, I'm go, I am sending you. Maybe the challenge for many of us is that we need to encounter more strangers so that we can do God's work, so that we can find maybe even Jesus. It's interesting, our whole passage is in this greater context of describing the kingdom of God. The kingdom of, light, of God is like, is like a man going on a journey who entrusts the bags of gold to his servants. But therefore, I'm left wondering if this isn't what God is trying to do in us and through us. I'm left wondering if God is trying to change the world through our work, through our work with and our welcome of 
particularly the stranger. What would a, a people look like who lived this out? Maybe God so loves the world that He shows it by sending even us to love strangers like Jesus. Because we've been strangers and we've been loved by Jesus. Because, of course, if we could be this kind of people, a people who use what we've been entrusted to bless others, a people who work to multiply God's kingdom, a people who care for even and especially the stranger, well, that would change the world. And maybe it's through this ministry, this service, this care that we truly enter back into the master's happiness. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we come before you in worship again, recognizing that you have entrusted so much to us. You've given us so many resources and skills. You've entrusted us with so much responsibility. And we pray that you would help us use it for your glory, not ours. Lord, open up our eyes that we might see people who are hungry that we can feed, people who are thirsty that we can give drink, people who are strangers that we can welcome in. And give us the, the discernment and the wisdom to know, to know how to do that. Lord, make sure our hearts are in the right spot so that we can better live out your heart in your world. Because we know what it's like to be a stranger and we know how powerful it is that you welcomed us back in. Lord, help us to be that kind of people. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.